Oh yeah, good morning everybody. This is not Emilio Despirito. This is Greg Rice on Pitch Hitting today for Emilio. And today on the show we have Paul Salcone. Now Paul is with North Point Bank. He's a sales manager as well as a loan officer. And Paul, today you're going to talk to us about some of the programs that are available to first-time home buyers, as well as what the heck is going on with the market. Paul, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me today. You're welcome, brother. So jump on in. Absolutely. So yeah, as you had mentioned, you know, my first topic today is talking about you know first-time home buyer programs. Obviously, we all know that you know half the buyers out there I would say are first-time home buyers, especially in this market where. You know, a lot of people who have purchased homes last couple of years are maybe a little bit um, reluctant to buy right now because, you know, rates are rates are a little higher than we're accustomed. So first time home buyers are more uh, the active buyers because they don't have any other properties and they want to get into a house. And, and rates obviously are, are a necessary evil right now. So I figured with first time home buyers, most common programs you know, are the down payment assistance programs that we've all heard of Rhode Island housing. That's probably the most common and most popular program in Rhode Island now. Most people are aware that the grant that they had, the $17,500 grant, was great for 2023, but it actually ended in October. End of October is when all the funds were depleted for this year. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, where does that leave us? Because, you know, if you were in the process of getting pre-approved as a first-time homebuyer, and, you know, the way it worked with that grant was you can get pre-approved with it, but you couldn't register for the funds until you had a house under contract. That was uh -huh. a stipulation. So a lot of people, oh, I have the program. Great, you do. But unless you had a house under contract, you, you couldn't register for those funds until you had a property. So some people, I don't want to say lost out, but you know, didn't didn't get the, the funds. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what do we have available now for people who maybe didn't have the opportunity to take advantage? So Rhode Island Housing, and not everyone's aware of this, beyond that program we discussed, they also have two other programs for down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. Um, one of them is um, actually extra assistance. It's $15,000. First time home buyer has to be four. It can be used on a single or a two family home. It can be used for down payment and closing costs. The only thing with this program is it is something that's paid each month. So it's not free money, but it's a way for you to borrow your down payment. Because some people, they can afford the monthly payment. They just didn't have the funds to qualify. So this is a way of getting $15,000 for one or two family homes. It's amortized over 15 years, though. It's a, um, and again, it's a fixed rate program. And, and if you want a three or four family home, the maximum amount you can get is $9,000. So it's an extra assistance program that most people weren't aware of. Typically you need a 660 credit score and be a first time home buyer, which means either one, you are a first time home buyer or you haven't owned a house in the past three years. That's what it would, you know, in order to qualify for this one. Um, there's a second program for Rhode Island housing. It's actually a down payment assistance program for $10,000. These funds can only be used for down payment. And actually, it's um, there's no interest on it, 0% interest rate, and you don't make a payment until you either refinance the house or sell the house down the road. So it is essentially money you're getting from the government, and you can be used for a down payment, and you're not making a payment on it until you sell the house down the road, you pay it off. That is something that you know we definitely look at as options for first-time home buyers. Um, something else to keep in mind is conventional. It's a you know, if you're a conventional um, buyer. First-time home buyer with single-family home now, you can put down as little as three percent. So that's something in this market you could imagine. You know, when some properties are borderline condition, okay, they they qualify for FHA. Uh, I'm not sure, but conventional has three percent down. 
So that's another very popular program that we have out there. And then the most traditional program is probably the FHA. Most are aware of it's three and a half percent down. It's for one to four unit property. Obviously it has to be owner occupied, but that's the most popular program in general. Um, I think that right now, most of my first time home buyers are going with who, you know, are buying multifamily homes. So those I would say are the most common. One other thing I wanted to mention about first time home buyer programs is many people have heard of this. Conventional recently changed their, their guidelines regarding down payments. So now the minimum down payment on a two to four unit property used to be 15 to 20% for conventional. Now they have a 5% down conventional um, first time home buyer, even, not even first time home buyer, just in general, 5% down. So that's good for people that, you know, maybe uh, the property isn't in not bad shape, but maybe has some potential FHA concerns like chipping paint or maybe some issues with roof or plumbing. It's a way to get you in a multifamily home where you can put down 5%, still use rental income to qualify. So I think these are the programs right now that are most uh, most common and most attractive for first-time home buyers. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts? Do you agree with this, what, what I'm kind of mentioning right now? I love it. And it's so much information. And again, the folks that are just tuning in, we have Paul Salcone, folks, from North Point Mortgage. And Paul, a lot of folks right now are driving in their car, maybe they're working around the house. So could you summarize and hit those programs again very shortly, just so they know you rattled off a bunch there. Just hit yeah. those programs again for the folks at home. Absolutely. So as I mentioned initially, Rhode Island Housing, they did have the grant, the 17500 that did actually end end of October. But now they have two other options for first-time homebuyers. One is a program, it's called Extra Assistance. It's $15,000 for one or two family homes. $9,000 for three or four family homes you have to be a first time home buyer. And it's a program where this is something where the money you are given at closing, you pay it back um, over a 15 year amortization on the second mortgage for the 15,000 or 9,000. And that's something that's, you know, essentially attached to the mortgage. It's a way for you to, you know, obviously get a down payment without having to come up with it yourself. You still make the payment, but it is money you can use. The second option is the um, down payment assistance program. This is something where it's $10,000 can only be used for a down payment and it's, you don't pay 0% interest. You don't pay any money back until you either sell the house or you refinance the house down the road. So it's a way for you to come up with some money for a down payment. They do require a 660 credit score. But again, this is something they have year round that not everyone's aware of. They always think of the grant only. This is another option for first time home buyers. Um, secondly, I mentioned conventional financing, uh, first time home buyer, single family home, 3% down. It can be gifted as well. And this is something they offer for first-time home buyers. If you're a, um, looking at multifamilies for a um, conventional, it's 5% down for two to four unit properties. Um, it is a very popular program there as well. It does require six months reserves, but again, we can talk about gift funds and other ways to minimize your out-of-pocket costs. And then the last program that I touched upon, most common, I think, is the FHA. It's 3.5% uh, down, and it's not just first-time home buyers, but any buyer. Um, is most common with first-time home buyers, maybe with a you know maybe lower credit score, or maybe someone who's you know relatively new to the industry. The debt to income ratio, they're they're a lot more um, you know they're aggressive with it, so they'll let you go a little higher for buying power. And that's for one to four unit properties, and you can also use rental income to help them qualify, which I think for multifamily homes is key, especially being a first-time home buyer. Maybe buying a three-unit property, you can use you know anticipated either what the rental income is fair market or what lease agreements are in place. And that that will definitely help your buying power as well, and almost you know almost pay your mortgage in, in itself as a first time home buyer. So that's a a great option there. So those are the three particular programs I wanted to discuss on the first time home buyer front. 
And are you finding, Paul, that people are choosing multifamily properties instead of a traditional single family for their first purchase since things are so expensive? That's correct. I'm seeing that a lot. I mean, right now in particular, two units are great. I mean, I think I'm seeing two and three the most because that's usually the the, the homes I'm, that, that are, I mean, they're priced a little bit higher, but I feel like with the rental income and, and, and fair market rent increasing, even though the payment's a little bit higher, the extra rent will help. I mean, right now, the only concern or, or the only potential hurdle I have once in a while, and you're probably aware of this, the self-sufficiency test. So when you're buying an FHA property, now if it's a single or a two-family home, it does not apply. But if you're purchasing a three or four-unit property, keep in mind, and what, what, what the government does is they have this little like formula. They'll take, okay, let's say a three-unit property. They'll take what fair market rent is or whatever lease agreements are. Let's say it's $1,500 per unit. Just quick math. Three-unit property, that's $4,500 for the month. They take 75% of that figure, okay? And that number, I think it's 3125, wherever it may be. As long as your mortgage is at that number or less, you qualify. But if for some reason your mortgage is higher than that, even if you qualify on paper, it fails a self-sufficiency test. So that's why conventional now, this 5% down is a big deal because they don't have the self-sufficiency test. So essentially, if you qualify for a loan based on your income and the rental income, it doesn't matter about what it you know comes in relative to what you're paying. So that's why this first time home buyer buying, you know, with a conventional 5% down on multis might be a way to go for some situations when, you know, maybe prices a little bit higher, rents are maybe good, but not as good as they could be. You know, there's just ways to make these numbers work to close in the deal. Um, and that, these are things I wanted to mention. A lot of people, Paul, I noticed, they want to jump right into the single family. They want the comfortability. They want the privacy. They want their family life, right? And a lot of them don't realize that they could end up stuck there for a long time, or they could be in over their head. So I am very biased because of the property management side of me, but I highly recommend to people, if it's your first time buying, seriously look at at least a two family. Okay, if not a three family, a four family even, and my first property was a four family. And that enabled me to start saving, to offset my expenses, and to propel myself. So just because it's a beautiful home, it's in a rural area, it's got a big yard, you're gonna be happy there. Think about five, 10, 15 years down the road before you pull the trigger. Oh, I, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, in this market in particular, with prices where they are, with interest rates, you know, being a little higher than we're accustomed to, I think you'd be very, very smart to buy a two to three unit property, even a four unit if possible, because yeah. now you're, you know, you're, you're essentially living off the rental income. You, your mortgage is being paid by others. Obviously, you have a property you own. You're, you're get, gaining equity daily. And then also down the road, let's say you do this for you know, two to five years, wherever it may be. Down the road, okay, now you have an investment property that's paying for itself. You also have tax write-offs. And then if you want to buy a single family home, great. Now you have the income from the property plus what you're making yourself. And it makes it um, a lot less stressful. And I feel like you're not going to be in a predicament where you could potentially become house poor, lose your home, who knows what. It gives you a lot more uh, certainty. And so last I, thing before we go, Paul, where are the rates going in your opinion? Well, here's the thing. I mean, in, in just in the last, I would say, 10 to 14 days, last two weeks, Rates have gone down anywhere from a half percent to three quarters of a percent. I mean, the market, the 10 year treasury has gone down. And, you know, I'll be honest, at first glance, I didn't think this was going to happen. And just looking at the market over the last, say, 90 days, but rates have gone down. Now you're looking at, you know, pending on credit score and program, somewhere between mid sixes to low sevens, given it's not, you know, not as good as it was three, four years ago, but relative to where we were, we were in mid sevens to, to low eights. 
you know, less than a month ago. So rates are coming down a little bit, which I think will help buying power, also help uh, maybe, you know, people who are on the fence now want to jump back into the game. Awesome. And Paul, the folks at home, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, again, the best way to reach me um, is my cell phone number is uh, area code 401 419-9291. You feel free to call me, text me. I mean, I, I work for North Point Bank in Providence, right downtown Turks Head building. Even if you want to meet me in my office, I'd be happy to sit down with you and, and go over programs we have and as well as uh, you know, run some numbers for you so you can get pre-approved if you're interested. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. And coming up next, we have Melissa Delena of Delena Law. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Welcome back again. Now we have Melissa Delena of Delena Law. Now, Melissa is, in my opinion, one of the most insightful and experienced guests on the show. That's right, I said it. And today, <laughs> she's going to talk to us about financial transfers, okay, and being prepared with certified funds. Now, Melissa, are you saying I can't bring a bag of cash to the closing? <laughs> That's exactly what we're saying. That's right, Greg. So bags of cash cannot be used. In fact, I just had that conversation with clients yesterday and it does happen. I call it mattress money where we'll get a call and someone will say, well, I don't have any bank accounts and I'd really like to bring um, cash to a transaction. Can we do that? And the answer is really no. Um, there's no way for us to count it. There's no way for it to be sourced. Even if it's a true cash transaction, makes it really just logistically difficult. And I've actually called over to different banking institutions that we have relationships with and say, I have a closing, it's cash. My clients need to come with 250,000. Can I use your services to count this money? Because I don't have the manpower to count 250,000 the old fashioned way, right? I'd be here for two days. Mm -hmm. um, and they've said no, because, you know, again, there's this inherent risk of, we don't know where the funds came from. We can't source it. Is it used for illicit or illegal purposes? Was it used for terrorist activities? It just, it's a no bueno. So you need to have a bank account, right? It's part of being a grown up. You're gonna buy a house. You should probably put a bank account aside. And of course you can start planning to put the cash into the accounts in ways that it's not necessarily going to trigger. You don't have to deposit 250 all at once because people are worried about it's now being identified um, by the bank. So if you're putting in smaller chunks of cash, then it's not necessarily being flagged, but you know that you need to give yourself a fairly wide turn time to do that. In fact, I've even had clients tell me that they've spread the money out to various bank accounts and they can do whatever they want to do so long as we get the certified funds for the closing. So what is, uh, I guess, what has been happening that made you want to talk about this? So the biggest issue that we're having right now is the amount of relocation clients that we're still servicing. So folks that are coming in from out of state, oftentimes their banks are not local. So if they're working with a community credit union in Oklahoma, then they don't have personal access to be able to go in and secure a bank check for the closing, which is probably what you do for your check, your closings, right? So alternatively, what about a wire? Well, I mean, wire fraud concerns aside for a minute here, wires work. However, one of the biggest problems we're having, um, Greg, is that regular people don't have wire setup feature by phone. So they can't just call the bank and say, yes, I'd like to initiate a wire for $56,312.02. 
they're like, okay, great. Well, you can go to your nearest branch and then we will help you with that. Well, again, Oklahoma is not terribly close to here. So -hmm. that becomes a bit of a problem. And we recently tried to circumvent that with a power of attorney. So my clients were here in Rhode Island. Their bank was in Florida. They had family in Florida. So we put a power of attorney in place. Then in fact, the family member went to the bank was able to initiate the wire on their behalf back to us, and it was no problem. We had the same question come up, not less than three weeks later, uh, because again, this is becoming a consistent problem. Same issue, we went to the bank and said, how about a financial power of attorney so that a family member who's there can initiate? They said, no, our legal department needs to review that, and it takes three days. Well, as luck would have it, that was the closing day. So needless to say, three days for them to approve or not approve a financial power of attorney to initiate this wire just wasn't going to work. So unfortunately for those folks, they had to get in the car and drive to the nearest branch, which was in New Jersey. Mm. So it's really unfortunate without proper planning, the hoops that our clients have to jump through when you're already at the end of the transaction, right? Everybody's done everything right. You've gone through the inspections, you've gone through the financing, you're ready for your closing, but you forget the most important part, the money, honey. (laughs) So I guess that's where a big bank, like Bank of America or Citizens comes into play because your your branches are everywhere. And um, I've been with Citizens now for close to 10 years and they're in Detroit, Michigan, they're in Tennessee, they're in Pennsylvania. It's like, that's the benefit of that. So uh, a lot of folks, they have a smaller cooperative bank or a credit union, like you said. So that's mm-hmm. just the downside. Yeah. And there's no doubt a bigger bank is helpful in that application, but you have to make sure there are branches where you're going. Citizens Tech is typically up and down the East Coast. You're not going to find a Citizens probably in California or you know Arizona. So that is where the Chase the B of A, like you mentioned, the larger banks are going to offer better um, flexibilities for our clients who are coming here. And again, people don't usually think about that because for the most part, Greg, they've already relocated or they've not yet thought about setting up a bank branch because they're in the throes of moving. And even though we try to send out correspondence to let our clients know early in the transaction, hey, you're going to need certified funds, bank check or a wire, they don't understand the logistics. They think I can wire the money. Right. Um, that's one of the big pushbacks that I get a lot of times is my clients will say, well, we just assumed you would take care of the wire. You've taken care of everything else. Well, that makes me feel good that I've taken care of a lot of things for them, but I don't have the power to go into their accounts and initiate wire transfers. So I think it's really just an understanding and an education about what's involved in initiating a wire. How much time does it take? How do you go about doing this at your bank? Because this is a job you as the consumer have to do. Myself as the attorney, the agents, you know, a phone a friend, that stuff doesn't work. Right. And switching gears a little bit, Melissa, what's been on your mind that you've just wanted to scream from the mountaintops? Maybe <laughs> about people in general, maybe about the business, maybe about society, the culture of your work. What's something that's been on your mind? Um, So one thing that's been on my mind a lot is I keep getting price shocked. Uh, And I think that it's really a function of how difficult it is right now for buyers who are purchasing when we are having, you know, highest interest rates we've seen in two decades, prices that are higher than, you know, certainly anybody could have anticipated they would be at. 
and just general inflationary constraints, right? Everything is costing more money. So I think that I'm really noticing a lot of buyers um, sharpening their pencils and looking at the fee structures for attorneys and shopping those rates and trying to understand if they're getting the best bang for their buck. And I mean, they're pretty, in my experience, pretty standardized across the board. I've seen some variations. So are things that tough that they, they're really trying to scrape from that point? I, I think that it's just a place where they're feeling like, well, maybe we can save here. You know, we can't save on the interest rate. The interest rate's the interest rate. We can't save on the cost of the house because that's predetermined by the market. So I think that they're just looking to a place where they feel like they have some control and they're looking to try to shop or mitigate those costs. And one in particular, Greg, is the owner's title insurance policy. Uh, because that line item has the term optional because it is not required or mandated, I feel like most people are like, oh, great, $600. Let's just save money right off the jump. And then fortunately, they are talking to us. And I think for the most part, we convince them how important the title insurance is. While, yes, it is technically optional for your equity to be protected, it's at the end of the day, if it is $600 or $1,000 or whatever the premium is, it's well worth the protection, especially when you amortize it over a term of years that you're going to own the property because it lasts for as long as you own it and it will actually protect you even after your sale. What about, like I bought property, say, you know, I seller financed the property, got the title policy and then refinanced it in a year and got another title policy. Are, should Should landlords be doing that and getting every time in each transaction just to not break that chain or what's your thought on that? So that's different. The owner's policy is a one time. So that lasts for as long as the ownership is there. That's not something that should be typically purchased over and over. However, the lender's policy does have to be yes. reissued in the event of a refinance because that policy only protects that loan. So yeah. if you take out a loan in 2023 and then two years from now, the rates are advantageous and you want to refinance, you have to purchase a new policy for the new lender, even if it's the same company that's refinancing you. Uh, but one benefit or discount that we do offer there, Greg, is certainly the economies of scale, right? We've already searched the title, so the cost may be less for that, but we can also issue what's known as a reissue rate. So that's essentially a discounted rate from the title insurer that we do pass that savings on to our existing clients. So that is a good thing for people to be thinking about long-term because we know refinances on a lot of people's minds. And also before you go, I don't know if you commented on the uh, NAR, okay, as far as the National Association of Realtors, I guess, I don't know too much about it, but the seller technically does not have to offer a buyer agency commission anymore. Can you comment on that and kind of summarize it for the folks at home? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a very timely topic. And it's funny because if you read what the papers say, it says something like, um, agents no longer getting paid commissions, but that's really not what it's about. Just like you said, it was a class action lawsuit where the um, consumers, the sellers were saying, hey, we have to pay the same percentage regardless of which company we're working with. We don't have any opportunity to shop for services. We feel like there's price fixing and that's fundamentally unfair. And the reason being is because this is how we've done it forever, right? Mm -hmm. Forever, 
listing agents had a contract with the buyer, excuse me, with the sellers. So listing agents had a contract with the sellers and those sellers were paying the listing agent who in turn offered a cooperating broker who brought a ready, willing and able buyer X amount of commission, however they framed it. Well, now what the Association of Realtors is going to be dealing with, at least on a local level and certainly on a national level, is that that is no longer mandated. In fact, Rhode Island, as of December 1st, has relaxed it where the listing agent can offer $0 to the buyer's agent. And what that means is that either the seller is getting some sort of cost savings, and as a result, the buyer is compensating their buyer agent directly, or the listing agent is still charging X percent or X dollars to the seller but just keeping it all for themselves and not sharing it with the buyer's agent. So I think if you're a seller who's considering selling your property, you should absolutely be having a conversation with the agent that you're talking to about what their recommendations are, what they're seeing. Um, the reality is, Greg, I've been on various conferences where this policy has been used over the past few years because people saw the writing on the wall. And they're saying that not a lot has changed in the way that business was being completed. But I think what's changed is the communication and conversations that now agents are having with the respective buyers and seller consumers instead. Awesome. And the folks at home, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, my office number is the best way. We have four attorneys on staff and multiple paralegals and accountants here standing by to help with any kinds of real estate questions. My office number is 401. 885-3800. Awesome. Thank you, Melissa. And coming up next, <clears throat> is that something in the air, something in the indoor air quality that Mike Auger is going to talk to us about from Patriots Property Inspection. So again, Melissa, thank you very much. Have a happy holiday season. You do the same. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Emilio Desperado, and you're tuned in to the Desperado Team Real Estate Show here on News Radio 920-1047 FM. Hey, I gotta tell you, one of the most important parts of buying and selling a home is home inspections. And that's why we felt it necessary to have Mike Auger with Patriot Home Inspections on the show to give you vital information. So Mike is the best in the business, in my opinion, and my clients rave about him. So we've invited Mike on the show today to give us some tips about the inspection process. Hi everyone, it's Mike from Patriot Property Inspections. And today we're going to talk about a part of home inspections that's a little different than you think. When most people think about house inspections, they think about us finding things that are broken or incorrectly done or physically in distress at the end of their life, etc. They're thinking about old roof, broken heating systems, dangerous electrical, leaky plumbing, fire hazards, etc. Yes, all those things are certainly important. But what folks don't typically consider are some of the hidden, less well-known dangers to you and your family. What are we talking about? We're talking about indoor air quality. That's right, the quality of the air that you and your family are going to breathe once you live in the house. A lot of people don't consider this at all. But it's so important to, A, the health of the occupants, and even, in some cases, the health of the house itself. So today we're going to dive into two specific areas that can compromise indoor air quality, things you should think about when you get a home inspection. First, let's talk about radon gas. A lot of people don't actually know what radon is. So quickly, 
radon gas is a naturally occurring gas that's a byproduct of decaying uranium and radium, et cetera. You don't need a science lesson. But anyway, those products decay in the soil and they result in radon gas emanating out of the ground. In America, radon gas is actually the second leading cause of lung cancer to Americans, obviously right behind smoking, which is number one. Um, the thing about radon is it's colorless, odorless, and it's not detectable without special testing. So you could live in a house with radon gas at an elevated level and not really even know. According to the state of Rhode Island Department of Health, about one out of four houses statewide on average is above the state action level and should have remediation performed to lower the levels of radon gas, again, to mitigate the uh, risks of lung cancer. We test for radon gas using a continuous radon monitor. So that's a machine that goes in the house and it runs for minimum 48 hours. Now, because radon's drawn out of the ground, the levels fluctuate based on weather conditions, barometric pressure, et cetera. So for this reason, we do a 48-hour test. That way we can get the average radon gas level in the house. Now, even though radon gas is dangerous, it can cause lung cancer, uh, the mitigation is actually, in the grand scheme of things, fairly inexpensive. Generally speaking, at this time in Rhode Island, to get a uh, radon gas mitigation system in a house, you're probably looking at about $1,200 to $1,500 for most single-family house installs throughout the state. I actually have a mitigation system in my house uh, because we had elevated radon, of course, and the new levels are quite low. So they work. They're very effective. <clears throat> now, contrary to popular belief, a lot of folks think, well, my house is new, so radon gas isn't going to come into my house, or I have a concrete foundation, not an old fieldstone foundation, so it's more sealed tightly. Um, that's actually not true. Radon gas particles are very small, and because they're pushed out of the earth or drawn out of the earth by lower barometric pressure, the radon gas particles will pass right through a new poured concrete foundation or fieldstone or brick or concrete block or whatever. Radon gas levels generally have more to do with the geology under the house than the construction of the house. So for these reasons, we recommend to our customers that they test for radon gas when they're buying a house, especially if you have a finished basement or uh, a basement that could be finished in the future. Because radon comes out of the ground, those levels in the below-grade areas, your basement, tend to be higher than those on the rest of the floors. So typically, we'll perform the test in the lowest finishable area of the house. Just so that you know if you're listening, testing for radon as well as radon mitigation are both licensed through the state of Rhode Island Department of Health. We do testing. We do not do mitigation. Um, but there are a list of testing and remediation providers on the uh, Rhode Island Department of Health website. So if you feel like perusing that to, to find somebody to help you out, there it is. So that's radon gas. Colorless, odorless, causes lung cancer. You should test for it. Next, we're going to talk about another item that people generally historically haven't considered, although awareness is growing. And this item that can compromise indoor air quality is mold. Now, every house has some mold in it outside. Unless you're in like a NASA clean room, there's going to be some mold in the air. Mold is the result of biological material breaking down from fungi or fungus. So wood, leaves, grass, uh, any biological material will eventually rot and break down. And when it does, it's usually being deteriorated by fungus, which releases spores into the air. That is what can compromise your indoor air quality. Um, usually when you have a mold problem in a house, it's a combination of A, moisture, helping speed that process up, or poor ventilation. Usually it's a bit of both. 
high counts of mold spores in the house uh, that, that are you know, compromising your air quality can result in various health issues. Some people will be you know, not very affected. Some people will be more affected. But some of the things that it can cause, it can cause allergies. Uh, it can cause breathing conditions such as asthma. And it can, in some cases, be severe enough to where if you inhale enough mold spores of the wrong species, you could need to be hospitalized to take care of it. And the, the symptom and the risks vary quite a bit depending on the species of mold as well as the person in the house and their immune system and their uh, reaction to, to mold spores, et cetera. Now, lately, we've seen a rise in mold problems and mold inspections in the last mm, four to six years um, for, for a few reasons. One, I would say, what folks don't realize is uh, with all the utility prices going up and everybody worried about green homes and efficient homes, they're adding insulation and buttoning up the houses and making the houses nice and tight for energy efficiency. However, what's happening is the houses don't breathe anymore. So you're trapping that humidity in the house. You're not allowing for good air exchange in the house. Some new homes that are ultra energy efficient actually will have a vent fan that runs 24-7 to help exchange air. But if you don't have something like that going and you button up your house too, too tight and you have a little bit of humidity and no air exchange, you can make a great environment for mold to grow. So if you've had some insulation added and things like that, uh, and then you start to develop allergies or, or your loved ones start to have some kind of symptoms like that, maybe have somebody do a mold test and see if you need some remedy. Secondly, as healthcare uh, kind of evolves and folks are trying to see why they have different illnesses or conditions or whatever, folks are realizing that a lot of the respiratory conditions that historically people just had for whatever reason may be reactions to mold. And, and it could be asthma and various respiratory conditions and things like that. So folks are more aware of that with the greater amount of information that's out there on the subject. You're seeing people be more cautious about it. And again, have us test and inspect for mold within the house. Mold can be remediated, so it's not like if you have mold in the house, you have to burn it down or move out or whatever like that. Generally, mold remediation means taking care of the moisture and the ventilation issues that are the cause of the mold, and then you'll have to treat the mold with some type of antimicrobial solution. If you're an avid DIYer, do not just go and spray bleach everywhere and think that's going to fix it. That is not going to get it done. You need a proper antimicrobial solution to kill it. Additionally, when it comes to mold, a lot of people don't consider this part of it. People that think about mold and the air quality for the humans, remember we talked about what mold is from. It's from fungus breaking down biological material. That biological material is your house. So if you let it go unchecked, and we've seen this in homes, especially houses that have damp basements and crawl spaces, those damp areas where the fungus is growing, it's literally deteriorating the wood that makes up your house. So it can damage interior areas, it can actually get to the point where it rots out the structural components, like the floor structure of the house. So um, in addition to harming the people, mold, as it continues to grow and fester, will actually eventually ruin the house. Unlike radon, there's a lot of times visual signs of mold. Sometimes you can smell it. It kind of has that musty smell. Sometimes you can see it. You'll see like little black dots uh, if it's bad enough, you'll have growth that you know might even look like mushrooms. But a lot of times there are some visual signs or smell signs where you can detect it without special testing. That might be a hint to bring somebody like us in to check it. Um, with regard to this, we do encourage our customers to perform indoor air quality testing as part of their home inspection or even as a separate service. Uh, some inspectors like us will go out and do just a mold inspection or a test for somebody to see what the indoor air quality is like. 
um, what that looks like as a visual inspection for mold and conditions that cause mold, and then lab work. So we'll sample the indoor air, we'll compare it to the outdoor air, and see if there's elevated levels in the house and see if there's a problem that needs to be mitigated for the, uh, for the home. Now, what's important is when you're hiring somebody to test for either mold or radon gas, you want to make sure that they're properly licensed or certified to do so. The training and everything that you get to, to get these licenses and certifications ensure that you use the proper techniques and you can give the proper information to the customer so you can evaluate the home and diagnose is there actually a problem that needs to be remedied or not so you can really help the customer out. For extra information about these topics, you can certainly visit our website. We have loads of info on there. It's homeinspectorri.com. For any other questions about our services, whether it's mold, radon, or general home inspections, of course, you can feel free to reach out to us at 401-578-4878, or you can communicate via the website again at homeinspectorri.com. Hopefully, this was educational for you. This is Mike with Patriot Property Inspections. Have a great day. Oh yeah, everybody, welcome back. Good morning again, Greg Rice here from Nexus Property Management, pinch hitting for our good buddy, Emilio Despirito. And today my favorite guest, Jennifer Jaber, top five holiday events, Jen, tell us what's going on. So Providence Three Nights of Light celebration um, will take place in various locations in downtown Providence. It's December 1st to 3rd. You can enjoy holiday cheer during all three nights of lights. Um, the festival features fun for the whole family with free citywide events, all incorporating the theme of light. Um, there'll be tree lightings, holiday shopping, ice sculptures, and much more. And you can get complete details at goprovidence.com. So it's just a great family fun event. Wickford Village's Festival of Lights will be November 30th to December 3rd. Um, the annual town tree lighting starts in Updike Park November 30th at 6 p.m., with a guest appearance from Santa. There'll be hay rides, um, horse-drawn hay rides with Santa, an elf parade, the ladies of the rolling pin winter concerts, caroling, uh, shopping, and much more. So again, that's November 30th to December 3rd. So we've got some time to get to that. Um, Saturday, December 2nd until December 16th is the Christmas at the Newport Mansions, including the Elms, Marble House, and the Breakers. You can enjoy a tour bus ride to the dazzling Newport experience. Um, enjoy the wonder of the season. It's The outing will take you on a tour through Newport's three most celebrated mansions, and you can enjoy the beauty of the homes, the intriguing stories behind them, and just the spirit of the season in picturesque Newport. So definitely worth putting that in your calendar as well. The 25th annual Pawtucket Winter Wonderland Festival um, is at Slater Park. It's December 2nd and 3rd, and also 9th and 10th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Slater Memorial Park. The festival includes Santa visits, train rides, hay rides, the loof carousel, um, light displays, 30 plus acres decorated. Um, the Victorian houses will be decorated and there will be over 650 decorated trees with a read along um, of the night before Christmas display and much more. And again, just a fun, festive, family fun event. And last but not least, December 2nd and 3rd is Christmas at the castle at Smith's Castle from 12 to 4 p.m. Uh, the theme is remembering Christmas past 75 years and counting. Entertainment includes Don Butterworth's Puppeteer, Christmas Music of the 40s, the Wheeler School Concert Bell Ringers, uh, Songs and Stories, Colonial Crafts, Father Christmas, there'll be cookie decorating, outdoor games, weather permitting, a bake sale, Christmas bazaar, raffle baskets, vendors. Um, there's also free ginger snaps and malt cider, and you can bring a canned good for donation. And I think it, it allows you 10% off purchases as well. 
Awesome. Awesome. And Jen, what about this? Somebody said to me the other day, they said, I want to do something instead during the week. I don't want to do it on the weekend when everything's busy. What do you say to folks that maybe want to do an event during the week? Yeah. So what, what's awesome about our events calendar is I try to seek those like weekly events out. Like there's a lot of trivia nights. Um, this time of season, there's like some craft nights, like wreath making, candle making. Um, there's like painting classes, the sip and paint type classes. Um, and just like weekly live music. So definitely check out the calendar um, because we'd make it a point to come up with things to do during the week because we feel the same way. And also there's a lot of like dinner specials that happen like burger nights or um, date nights, like two for one. So um, we try to make a point to keep that updated because I, I'm the same way too. Like it's a Tuesday night, what can I do? Right. And also another thing you just said, uh, like a nice dinner, like a romantic dinner. I think a lot of couples out there want to go out for a nice experience with their partner or somebody they're dating. And um, that's a wonderful thing to do during the week as well. So um, awesome, Jen. And last thing is, when do you put up your Christmas tree? Oh my gosh. So I, I like, I, I am way too early. So it's How not up. I always <laughs> tree but um but it'll probably be like you know in the next couple days got it so right around thanksgiving that's that's totally cool but i start decorating and putting up lights and stuff a little bit earlier and i may or may not have started listening to christmas music after halloween so. oh, <laughs> i'm one of those you must go to tj maxx and home goods and love all the music getting pumped i can't stand the christmas music it's just something about it it does something in my soul. But oh my again, Jen, thank you very much. And what, again, is your website that folks can go and check out all of these events? riblogger.com. And if we've missed any events too, you can submit them or send an email to jennifer at riblogger.com. So we're always happy to put them up there. Love it, Jen. Thank you as always. And again, folks, check Jen's website out. You won't be disappointed. Jen, thank you much and have a happy holiday season. You too. Have a great week. Once again, folks, thank you for tuning in. I'm Gregory Rice of Nexus Property Management, filling in for our good buddy, our friend, Amelia Despirito of Angle and Volkers. And a big thank you to our guest, Paul Salcone from North Point Bank, Jennifer Jaber from RI Blogger, Melissa Delena of Delena Law, and Mike Auger of Patriot Property Inspections. We'll be checking in with you again next week. And I will talk to you next year. Have a great holiday season.